Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Wonderist Agency, Michael Anderson. Michael joined his wife, Laura, in creating this marketing agency for dentists across the country. From starting their house to now working in 25 states, Wondrous Agency has proved itself to be effective in their strategy. With an emphasis on caring for their clients and growing as a small business, it is no surprise that Wondrous has made the Inc. 5000 list. Wondrous Agency is growing like crazy, so Michael, my friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right. So we got a marketing agency. If we got this right, we got a marketing agency targeted at dentists. You got how, it. How did we get into this? Yeah, no, I, I always like to joke, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering English literature major, uh, you know, rolled into college and rolled right out, didn't really uh, know where I was going to fit in. And it took me a while to really um, understand, you know, what what I enjoyed. Um I grew up in a household where my dad uh, owned QSR franchises, so Burger King and Papa Murphy's. And, you know, our, our conversations on the table were fantastic. You know, he was- Hold on, always, hold on. What is Papa Murphy's? Uh, Papa Murphy's. Well, see, now, this part of the country knows all about it, part of the country doesn't. But it's it's take-and-bake pizza, which in its own right is a fascinating concept, right? So huh. the idea that you can cut your costs by not having- uh, a team of people serving. Yeah. And it's really just a, it's a production house, right? You, you produce a pizza, you don't bake it. Someone stops by, picks it up. So these, you know, these were really successful back when Blockbuster was yeah. still a thing. So you'd look for a grocery store and a Blockbuster and that was kind of your bullseye. Mom is, you know, going to shop for the week and maybe pick a movie up for tonight, take and bake pizzas on the menu. Perfect. Sorry to interrupt. I just, I no. couldn't get away with it. What the, where's Papa Murphy's? Yeah. Right, go ahead. So, so I grew up, you know, uh, sitting around the dinner table, just listening to all sorts of real world business problems. A lot of it's personnel, a lot of it's management. I mean, I think anyone that has, has, you know, grown a business knows a lot of times people are the the greatest joy and also the hardest part. And, uh, and so it was fascinating to grow up with that. And I think I knew from a young age that I wanted to be a maker, a builder, uh, you know, but coming, coming through school, a lot of times you hear about, you know, lawyers, doctors, teachers, I never felt like there was a job that was put in front of me that I was like, that's me. And so getting out of school, it was this tough path. I tried a bunch of different things. I, I felt totally out of place in all of them. And then I finally uh, started working for a Fortune 500 uh, health insurance company that had a skunk works division that was focused on um, really creating startups. And I'd really gotten interested in the tech startup space. I was very involved at this point in, in the Milwaukee tech start, startup scene, had a couple failed you know, software companies. And, uh, and this company really created that springboard to start to understand the model of look for niches and identify problems and build products for those problems. So it was a phenomenal starting point. You know, We did fun stuff like create, if you guys are familiar with Blue Apron or plated we we did a boxed uh food yeah. company for people that were gluten intolerant or celiac right so trying to really serve a specific niche community so it was a really fun time and then uh as far as how wondrous got started my my wife laura and my business partner deserves all the credit in the world so she was the founding member uh and she really i think like a lot of businesses uh it started through a conversation with a friend right so she had a friend who graduated dental school 
and he got out of dental school, very entrepreneurial guy, uh, immediately went to open his first practice, which is not common. A lot of times people have, you know, they're, they're like, let me go work somewhere else and pay off my loans. And he's like, no, I have a vision. And he opened his practice and called her about six months later and said, you know, uh, I have a problem. I have one company that's doing my website, another company that's doing my SEO, a third company doing my direct mail, a fourth company that I'm paying and I don't remember what they do. And he said, my, my time is being spent on the weekends trying to figure this marketing thing out. I keep cutting checks. I have no idea what I'm getting back for that. And, and can you help me out here? Um, and so I think what he really identified was a problem that's very common for small business owners, certainly for dentists, that, that it's siloed. You have these people that are supposed to help you, but they don't necessarily talk to each other. And so sure. Laura's background is in a traditional you know, marketing agency setting. She's worked for Sony Pictures, for Microsoft, uh, you know, for Ashley Home Furniture, you name it, she's done it on a national level. And so she stepped in and really made it her business to wrangle these companies together. She fired some and hired some new ones. And ultimately the, the takeaways were you need to have a consistent message that's authentic, right? We need, to, we need to actually show this business off, show the dentist off. We can't hide behind stock images and we need to track results and we need to not be afraid to turn off what doesn't work and turn up what does. And I think that's commonly for small businesses, one of the problems you have a, a you know marketing agency or a partner that gives you this great sales pitch. It sounds exciting. And then they kind of disappear for a while and you don't know if it's working. And then they come back with a box of donuts and they say, it's that time of year for us to re-sign. Don't these donuts look good? And you sign it again, because it feels like it might be working and you don't know. And so our commitment to our clients has always been that stuff we do will not work. We tell them up front, stuff we do will not work, but we're going to move quickly and we're going to turn those things off. We're going to show you, we're going to talk about it. We're going to really celebrate the things that do. And so that was the early genesis of Wondrist. And it was literally just Laura and me on a couch uh, working away. And, you know, we had uh, just, you know, the client that was a friend and then, uh, you know, and I found another client. Um, and then at the earliest point, we started saying, well, let's get some email lists and let's email people whenever we're going to travel somewhere. So like I, if, we, if we go to Charlotte or Atlanta, we're going to email 100 dentists and invite them for coffee. And we usually got one or two people that took us up on it. So I remember we, we signed our first client that didn't know us and went out to dinner, spent the entire amount of, you know, the, the you know, contract on dinner, which wasn't a lot. And started to really validate and realize that the world of dental marketing was was really underserved. It, it really was dominated by companies that had that had emerged and grown in the print space, right? They were they were doing a lot of direct mail, a lot of print design, and they were struggling now to adjust to the digital world. And so they, they were bigger, they were well known, but they were very uh, cookie cutter. And and so what we've done from day one is really embrace this idea that we want to be the marketing agency that dentists deserve. It's, 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 a, it's a modern agency that, that really embraces modern practices. And so what we're now known for, you know, almost 10 years later, is a celebration of authentic uh, design. We, we really have this battle against stock images. If, if you go on a dental website or everybody's gotten that postcard, it's like, it's like grandma and grandpa sitting in a field, uh, right. you know, <laughs> happy that their dentures are in. It's like a Cialis commercial, right? It's cheesy. It's awful. And the reality is dentistry is really interesting. It's a really sexy industry. These dentists have beautiful offices. They look like spas. They have technology. They'll blow your mind. Most people, you know, we all watch Finding Nemo and we see that dentist that's got the fish tank. We're like, that's a dentist. 
no, like these guys have, you know, they have like hospital grade CT machines and they're able to like, you, you miss a tooth, they're able to put a permanent tooth back in, just amazing stuff. Mm. But you need to show that off in an authentic way. So authenticity in, in content creation, photo and video has been huge. And then tracking results is, is the other thing that's really stood out. The last thing that we always talk about as sort of our, our origin story and sort of why, why I think we're, we're you know, growing the way we are is it goes back to those conversations that, that I had at, at the dinner table with my dad. One story I love to tell is, you know, he ran the four most successful Burger Kings in the state of Wisconsin. And he would tell you to this day, the reason for that is because he overstaffed them. He, you know, when other people would, would have one manager for four stores, he had a manager and assistant manager in every store. He would make sure that at lunchtime there were, you know, 10 people, 12 people there. And he got bought out by private equity. We, I think they looked at the spreadsheet and started laughing and said, we can make a lot of money. They cut costs. And, uh, and six months later, they were trying to sell those stores back. The lesson wow. for me has always been, we need to invest in people. And so we've been really proud of the fact that we built an in-house agency. We don't outsource a lot of our work. And today we have 50 people in our company in San Diego that do amazing work for our dentists. And I think in the intro, we, I probably screwed up. We work in just about every state around the country and we serve over... Um, over 400 dentists today. Wow, man, I've got a lot of questions, but one thought, one story just came to mind that I just heard. I don't remember the, the guy's name, but he's kind of a famous restaurateur guy that's like, you know, will come in struggling restaurants and turn it around. I think he's got a show on TV or something, but he just had this interesting thought on your first customer, right? And how important that first customer is. And so he talked about, let's say you decided to give free, your, your most expensive dinner away to a first-time customer. They got, as long as they're a first-time customer, they turn in the ticket, they get a free dinner. He's like, in reality, it doesn't cost me the 40 or 50 bucks that's on the menu. It costs me 560, like $5.60 in the actual cost of goods. But he would have his employees put a red napkin on the table, not a white napkin, that would signify to everyone in there that this was a first-time customer and that they needed to make sure that this was a awesome experience. And then he said the the likelihood of a first-time customer had a good experience coming back was 40%. After the second visit, if they came back, it was 40%. But after the third visit, if they were going to come back, the likelihood was like 78% or something. And so he's like, the reality is it's a three, it's like a three-visit encounter that you've actually got a plan for to be thinking next level for longevity of customer loyalty and that kind of thing, right? And so your dad overstaffing and doing things like that to me, it's around the similar idea of like, in some ways, we're going to have to go over the top for a bit if we really want people to keep choosing us versus our competitors. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's about doing things that don't scale on paper 100%, right? It, 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 yes. Just look at businesses as a spreadsheet. I think, you know, you take the soul out of businesses. And I think about the businesses I love, the ones I patronize. A lot of times, it's that little added thing where you feel like you're getting something special, right? Mm -hmm. Um they come out and they pour an extra glass of wine at a restaurant or there's that surprise, you know, the chef wanted to send this out for you to try it. And like, that's probably all part of a plan, but yeah. it makes you feel special. But not and everyone's doing it. Exactly. And you could say, well, why are they giving that away? They're losing money. They should sell that. But it's about that, you know, for most businesses, it's about retaining a long-term relationship. And that's such a big part of our business. And I think that's a great point. You're absolutely right. Restaurants, you, you don't want to sell one meal. You want to sell a relationship. Yes, exactly. So the problems that you, that you two identified uh, was that they lacked a consistent message 
and the ability to track marketing results and be able to iterate if it's not working. Yes. Uh, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I think even in the messaging part for me, it's 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 the difference between sort of falling for this old school stock image, you know, approach versus having sort of this authentic message that's communicated across all the partners and all the channels that you work with. How do you go about discovering what that message is for that that dentist office? It's a great question. And we've actually developed a system. It's something that we work with for all of our clients. And um and there's two parts to it. The first part is um, really, you know, I, I always like to say, listen, it, for any business, whether it's dentist or marketing agency or restaurant, it doesn't matter. You need to establish a way to stand out in your market, right? And and I think for a lot of business owners, that's one of the hard, it's, it's like anyone that's tried to name their business knows how hard that is. You're sitting there, you know, it's like three in the morning, you got a bunch of crumpled paper, paper and it's the same experience. Like what makes me different? What yep. we often hear with our, dentist is we treat everyone like they're our family or, you know, our team is just really the friendly team. And I believe you, I do, but it's like me telling you I'm a nice guy, you know, yeah. and like the minute the words leave my mouth, I'm like, I'm a really nice guy. You start thinking maybe you're not right. I don't know. It's why are you telling me that? And so, so the first thing that we do is we encourage people to cheat. We say, this can be something that's easily solved embrace authentic photo and video and you will already be ahead of 90% of your market. Don't believe me, Google dentists near me and look at their websites. You're going to go to page three before you find anyone that you're like, whoa, this is their office. Mm. I can see a video of the, the doctor. And I think a lot of industries are the same way, right? It's, it's, we all, we, we spend all this money building our business. And then right at the end, we're like, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars to take photos of the thing I built, right? Like that's crazy. And so we always start out with this, like, it's okay if you can't figure it out, you can cheat. And then we get to the next part, which is there are these buckets that we examine together. Are you financially different? And if you're not, it's not for you. So you either need to be the most expensive or the least expensive in yep. your city. Are you different because of the culture or the experience in your office? Are you different because of, you know, the, the heritage or the I, I said experience before, but it's culture and then experience, right? Experience being, we are the oldest dental practice in the area. We have the most reviews in the area. And we have a few more questions we ask. And we try to find one of those areas where someone will say, listen, I, you know, we have a rocket ship in our lobby. Well, that's pretty easy. We're going to celebrate that. But again, if you come back to something like we're the most experienced, how do you show that? The example I like to give is if you think I'm, we're the nicest, right? We, we really treat everyone like they're our family. Don't say that. Why don't you bake fresh baked cookies in the morning and the whole office smells like cookies and you have them set out front. And yeah. now when people come in there, you give them that cookie and it makes them feel like you treat them like your family. It's like you're sitting at mom's kitchen. That's the way to do it. Anyone that's from the Midwest probably remembers Midwest Express Airlines brilliant airline. They do all these complicated things. All I know them as is the airline that baked chocolate chip cookies as you were landing. It's genius. I've never heard of that. That's amazing. So my second question would then be on the tracking the results. How do you guys go about tracking your, your, I guess your marketing results, like what, you know, what platform is working or what funnel you've created is working? How are you guys tracking that and, and, and editing as you go? Yeah. So the, there's been two phases to this um, this journey for us. Uh, phase one, 
was taking a lot of the reports that most marketers look at, right? So, you know, anyone else who's involved in marketing is going to say, okay, we've got Google Analytics. I want to look at sort of SEO keyword data. I want to look at social media and, and Google ads and social ads. And, you know, then there's call tracking and there's, there's, I'm up to like six reports right now, right? Well, when we started doing this, most companies were sending out six different PDFs at the end of the month, right? And, and one of them says views, one says impressions. And if you're a dentist, this is overwhelming. You, you know, you, you don't look at it that often. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand as a marketer. Right. So we uh, formed a partnership with a wonderful company called Agency Analytics. Uh, they are an awesome data broker. They bring all data into one place. I think that was foundational for our team, first of all, so that we were working out of one place. And then uh, secondly, for our clients, it's something we gave them total transparency and access to as well. And I think that can be scary for some companies. They're like, well, I don't want them to see everything, but it creates a lot of accountability. And, and for me, you need to educate your clients and help them understand what they're looking at. And you know, the, the biggest piece of that, most marketing companies will talk about data. They should, I think, but a lot of them I've noticed don't do a good job of following through on mm. actually using it the way that it's meant to be used. And so for us, we have to center around certain KPIs, the most important of which for dental offices are phone calls and appointments. And so that first one was a little easier for us to get to. We use a company called CallRail and we do call tracking for all of our campaigns. That's kind of our core metric. And so we're able to look at campaigns and say, where are we getting more calls? Where are we getting less calls? And what's the quality of those calls? And that was kind of the foundation of the company for the last almost 10 years. About three years ago, we realized we were missing the second piece, which is, and what about appointments, right? How much money are we really making for these clients? And so we've been hard at work for the last really two years, integrating our marketing with the EMR, the, the patient management tool that these practices have so that we can say, we generated this phone call and it took six weeks, but six weeks later, this patient came in, was presented $10,000 worth of treatment and they have to date accepted five. And so that marketing campaign generated $5,000 of treatment. So it's taken a lot of time. It's taken a lot of investment, but this year we are finally rolling out a platform that is funnel focused. It's, it's your landing page to yeah. nurture sequence to uh, actually being able to attribute the actual value created by the marketing campaigns. And that's been a holy grail in dental marketing for a long time because dentistry is more built out. These EMRs are ever present and, and they're very protected, right? So it's tough to just pull information from them. So it's more complicated than other industries. Totally makes sense. And I love the, the trust that that engenders in your client, that they know where their money's going. They, they can look at the results. Um, it's not just a feeling where I like you. It's like, you guys are getting us the results, man. This is awesome, right? Um, what has been, what has been maybe in this, so I just want to think like industry specific, you're doing marketing in, you know, for the niche of dentistry and you've gone from just an idea to being, having clients in every state in the country. That's a lot of scale. What were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome unique to your business to actually scale to that extent? You know, I, I, the more we grow, the more I choose to believe that there, there are very few unique problems in business. I think that, you know, where, where I find most of my interest and energy is in the commonality between our business and dentistry and our business and 
and SpaceX or, you know, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, it all comes back to similar problems. And, <laughs> you know, I think when you're a small business that doesn't take funding, which we're totally bootstrapped, the hardest part is going from the, the first employee to the second, right? Because it's a huge investment. It's a huge step and you have no processes and you need to find those right people. And then you need to really strap on some strong armor because the minute you make a commitment to that journey of we're not going to be solo entrepreneurs or freelancers, but we're going to build something, the body blows start, the disappointments begin, right? You're going to, you're, you're always the one left in the boat and everybody else at some point is going to rock that boat, leave that boat, uh, you know, come back and bump the boat. It doesn't matter. And so if I look back, I think that the first three years were the hardest because we, we had a smaller team, went from the two of us to three people to five people. I actually, in my Facebook feed this morning, I had a story come up and I, I saw, I think we posted, might've been right around the holidays, nine photos of the nine people on our team. And at that time I was like, you know, nine people, this is amazing. And now we're, we're up to 50. It's, it's totally different company. Wow. When you have nine people is I almost look at it like a dam, right? There's, there's all these holes in the dam, things you're trying to push back against. And, you know, as an owner, you got a head in one hole, a hand in another, a foot in the other. And, um, and when someone leaves, it's devastating. It's hard. There's, there's no duplication of roles, right? You have that one person and it's all they do for you. Right. And so right. I think that the transition from being a team of individual contributors to a team where departments start to form was a crucial transition. And that's one that we started to make about maybe three, four years ago. And that creates a lot of protection because now, as opposed to having one copywriter, you've got two and then three. As opposed to one account manager, you've got four, five, six. And if someone leaves, it's still stressful, but you've got processes and people in place to kind of keep things moving. That was a crucial step for us as owners to slowly be able to step back from being individual contributors and start to focus more on strategy. That is so essential to business growth. And it's a hard transition to make because you've got to shift your mindset completely, shift your skill set completely. And, uh, and so I'm grateful we were able to do that. And now I think we're in the middle of another shift where we, you know, have built a team of makers. I look at it almost like the factory floor. And now I think we're starting to invest more and more in our team that ha does not talk to our clients at all. They're all internal focus. There are innovators. And once you can start to focus on an internal team that's responsible for your process development, we've got a full-time person that does our, our office and culture management, which was huge through the pandemic. We sustained an amazing culture through the pandemic because we, again, did something that didn't scale. We kept employing someone who literally created this amazing virtual culture. And I think our retention has been way better. Wow. We have internal people to do our marketing, internal people to do our partnership. Partnership, that's a big way we grow. The den dentistry is like one of the biggest cottage industries in the world. The entire way we grow is through creating great relationships with partners. So that's kind of the next evolution. But but for me, it's it's surviving those early years just by having strong armor and being able to absorb body blow after body blow because it's hard. It's very hard. <coughs> Man, super well said. I want to go back to, or I just want to ask, Often what we find is that one of those hurdles, like you said, of removing yourself is at early stages, they were often buying you. Like you met the customer, you, you brought them in the door, you did the work, you had the marketing expertise or your wife had the marketing expertise. Like they were basically buying the founder, right? 
And then sometimes we get stuck that we don't know how to get them to trust somebody else. Or maybe we have a hard time trusting somebody else to go deliver the same results or form that relationship. How did you guys get yourself out of that bottleneck? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that, um, I think that it's, it's totally a head game in that, you know, the thing that we continue to learn over and over is that everyone is replaceable. And, and I mean that with, with all respect to everyone I'm on our team and, and I, I include myself, right? Like it's, it's, you go through these points where you lose people and you just think to yourself, how, how are we going to replace this person? And I think where this relate back, relates back to your question is when you start to consider stepping away, like I used to do all the sales. My wife used to do all the sales. We used to do account management. And we used to think to ourselves, if we stop, people aren't going to want to work with us. Or if we pull away from managing these accounts, people will leave us. And, you know, before we jumped on this podcast, you and I were talking about our, our families. We, we both have kids. And I almost think about it like kids, right? Like you have a kid and, and you know, they don't want you to leave. They're holding on to your leg. You know, they're crying and you think, I can't leave. And then you walk out the door and you stand out there for a minute and, and 30 seconds go by and, and they stop crying and they go do yeah. something else. And the funny thing is all these behaviors that we see in our kids are still in us somewhere, right? Like they're, that's where we started. They're buried in us. And the resiliency and the ability for people to accept and move on, especially when it's a social interaction, I think is huge. So my encouragement and my experience has been, you just need to do it. And you'll have mm. a few people that don't like it. But guess what? All the new people that come in don't know any different. At that point, you introduced them to their account manager. They took a sales call with someone besides you. And now that's the person they trust. And so for me, it's much more of a jumping into the pool thing. You stand up there, you look down, the water looks cold. How am I going to swim out? And the minute you get in there, oh, I floated to the top. The water's not so bad. I adjusted. And so it's 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 over and over again, it's not a client problem. It's a you problem in that you yeah. just take that jump. And if you lose a few people on the way, you're going to be so much better off by focusing on the business and not working in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. You know, I had a guy on the podcast say the more the more you work in the business, the less valuable it is. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, literally, the more of your actual work being required for the business, we can't sell you. So the business is less is is less valuable, right? Um, and that again, I'm often asking questions for myself here. Um, have you ever gotten into a situation when you're scaling the company that you were faced with the decision to either spend money so that you could scale or make the money that you needed, or wait till you made the money and then spend the money? Did you, does that make sense? Over and over again, I, I think this is this is a, a habitual thing for us, and, and it, it's it's both exciting and frustrating because I think when we look at the value of our business, we could certainly realize a lot more profit than we do. Uh, but when you're a growth-focused company that's bootstrapping itself, that means oftentimes you take that profit and you invest it back in. And I think at every chapter, every year, I could point to things that we've done and say, you know, we 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 took this jump and it was the right jump. And a few examples are, I remember when we, so we started the business and we worked out of our house and we hired our first four or five team members and we would put a Craigslist ad out. We'd interview them at a coffee shop. And then we'd say, you might have to work out of our house sometimes. And then we'd make an offer and say, so you need to show up to work on Monday out of our house. And it got to a point, keep in mind, we live in Southern California, small condo. We had our front room and our, our guest room and that was kind of like, you know, your public work area. And then there was a, our, our guest room was the conference room back there. 
And I started thinking, we need to get a bigger condo as we were hiring. And finally, we had some guests come into town. So we lost our conference room and they said, you need an office. And it had never occurred to us. And so we, we got a small office. We wrote a press release. It was 500 square feet. We then expanded another 300 square feet. We wrote another press release. And finally, when we had 11 people in there, we realized we couldn't sustain that. We looked at office spaces and there was one space that really would have fit us. And there's another one, the one we're in today, that we were like, this is so big. We're going to have to sublet part of it or, or get other desks in here. We signed what felt like an impossibly large lease on that space. And that opened the door for everything else we've done because it gave us space to grow. And thankfully so. We had no idea how badly we need it. We've since knocked down multiple laws and not, now we're at 8,000 square feet. Wow. Um, from that point, you know, there's just decision after decision that you look at and whether it's investing in a role that doesn't exist, that might not make you money right away, um, or investing in a technology development, uh, which we're currently doing. In addition to Wondrous Agency, we've built a software product that's totally a different company called Your Virtual Consult. And its goal is to lower the barrier to entry for people that are nervous to go to the dentist by letting them tell the dentist what's wrong and have the dentist send them a video so that they can start that conversation authentically, right? It's, it's huge. And so we've invested a lot of time and money in this software cool. product and that's, that's all sunk costs. So there's decision after decision, but what I can say is that at every turn, it has helped our company grow. And I, I'm just the biggest believer in manifesting growth. You tell people, this is what we're gonna do. Even when it seems impossible, you get the office space that feels impossibly large when you're a small team. And then all of a sudden you fill it. It's, it's amazing. I like that. I want to, can you speak, is there anything more to speak on, on that idea when you said I'm a big believer in manifesting growth? What do you think is happening there? That when you cast a vision, when you create space, people naturally fill it or you live into it. Do you think it's something more going on like the secret or like what, like, what do you mean when you say that? I think, I think verbalizing things creates accountability and it creates, um, it creates a shared vision, a especially when, when it's a team. And so one of the things that we've done that has been transformative in our company is we do a quarterly camp. You want to talk about something that doesn't scale. We take a whole day off of work every quarter. Nobody works on that day. And we, we talk about our culture. We, we, we come back to our core principles. We talk about the business and we're fully transparent. We talk about revenue by departments. We get into the numbers. We talk about growth, good or bad. And then each department gets a chance to step forward and showcase what they've done, talk about goals that were hit and talk about goals that are going to happen in the future. <clears throat> and one of the things I love about that is it's not, not just coming from Laura or I, we're not the yeah. only ones manifesting something. It's, it's asking everyone in the company to step forward or every department to step forward and say, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, one of the best examples of this was right as the pandemic hit. We transitioned to virtual like most companies in this country. And right as we did that, I, I got up and I said something that has stuck with me and it's, it's really changed the course of our company. I said, I want you all to look around the company that we have today. I said, it's not going to be the same when we come back into the office. And from that point, we have gone on this mission to really enter what we call Wondrous 2.0. We said, we want to have the company that we, the, the company we all want to work in, the company that we know we can be. Because I think most people have that experience when, when they're in a company there's a lot of things going well, but there's so much more that could be done. There's so much more we could do to make our company better. And so for me, I'm always interested in talking about where are we falling short? And so we've taken the last year and a half to really get serious about 
Where are we falling short? And let's just pull it all apart, even if it doesn't feel comfortable, because when we come back, which we're now going to do the day, the, the Tuesday after Labor Day, we're going to sit down again as a company and say, how much have we changed? Because we made a commitment to doing that. And that's just the manifest thing. That's getting up and saying it, not knowing how is this going to end, not, not really understanding what that direction is going to be. And if I could take the time today to go through all of the little things that have changed that have now crescendoed into really this big seismic shift in our company, it's overwhelming. And, and it's exactly what we wanted to set out to do to begin with. Wow. It sounds like um, that you are a, a very uh, a phenomenal visionary strategy leader, you and your wife, and you've been able to go from working in the business to now having more freedom to work on the business like this, to even get up and think where are we going and what vision are we casting and that kind of thing. I'm curious, what does a given day or week look like for you now, right? Like what does it look like to sit in your seat and what is there days that you are just focused on strategy vision? Is there days that you're just leading team meetings? Like get kind of walk me through a, a current day or a week right now where your time is most spent. I, I don't know if this is an area that I'm succeeding uh, personally. Um, my days are largely full of leading meetings. And I think where I've seen my role evolve is to continue to push um push projects and strategies forward and create accountability and create strategic direction. And so that has really become the foundation of my days. I am a big believer in block scheduling time. I'm also a, a recognize that I block schedule time. For example, the time we're in right now is block scheduled for me to, to uh, write content and create content. And I think this is a good, this is a good middle ground. We're creating content together, but frequently that time gets scheduled over. And so that's an area that I continue to look at and say, how can I grow and be better? But but my days are, are very, very full of meetings. And, um, and the, the part of the reason for that is we've got Wondrous Agency, which is a company in the dental space. We also are um, the, the co-founders of Nomos Marketing, which is a, a marketing agency in the legal, the legal space. And then we've got Well-Rounded in the chiropractic space and Merger Labs in the finance space, along with the software products. So between all of those companies, it's tough not to have a, a week full of meetings. Holy crap. I didn't realize all there were all these other branches of companies under you. Is that is that where the 50 people are they spread out amongst those or are 50 just on this the dental side? So the 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 the, the philosophy we have is we have our engine room of makers. So those are people that are building websites, designing logos and, you know, design projects, social media content managers, SEO, AdWords, um, all of those things sit in the engine room and then not count. So that's the 50 not counted in that are business leaders that uh, work specifically on these other companies. So Nomos, for example, they're based out of uh, Charleston now, and they've got an office there that has um, you know about four people in that office that are dedicated to them. Your virtual console is based out of Schaumburg, Illinois. They've got uh, three people that are dedicated to that Schaumburg area. Uh, et cetera. So there's, there's kind cool. of the front strategy uh, or business leaders, and then they're able to come back ladder back to the, the engine room for as long as they want before they can sustain their own individual, uh, their own individual team members. And, man, that is cool. That just got me even infinitely more complex. So, okay, let's talk about time blocking. Then this is something that I've come to, to really believe in as well. And something I'm surprised that we don't, do more often like often 
what I find working with executives, what I find working with leaders is they're still very much reactive in their schedule. And their schedule is filled up by who showed up first, who, who sent the loudest email, what fire felt the most urgent, uh, versus realizing, like, I could go ahead and decide my priorities. I could decide where my time is best spent and go ahead and protect it on my calendar in certain spaces, and then everything else could fall, fall around that. And I'm curious if that's something similar. That's how I view it. I don't know if you view it the same or similarly, and when and how did you start to implement that? Yeah, so I agree completely. I think that, you know, you, you need to have some protected time every week. I think as even just looking at our family growing, I think I'm increasingly mindful of, of not even blocking for work, but blocking for family and, and yeah. you know, having goals like uh, a lunch with my wife and business partner that's, that's not all about business or, uh, you know, an early Friday where, you know, this is something that, you know, I can protect so that I'm not working on a Friday. Um, all of those things are important. Um, I think the two things I would say is one, it's important to kind of I come up with your ideal work week. And then the minute that you do that, at least from, from my leadership style and, and what I think we need, uh, you need to have a lot of grace with yourself and your team to recognize that it will, that's an ideal. It's maybe not the, I, I know a lot of business leaders and owners that are very rigid. They're like, this is sacred time. I will not do anything but this. That's fantastic. It's not me. And so for me, you know, I, I think I fall short of my ideal week just about every week. I love it. But I'd rather start with structure and move towards freedom than have freedom and have to try to move towards structure. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's speaking for someone who resisted this for a long time. I just I, I, the best way I could describe it is my personality hated the idea of structure, but loved the reality of it. So on the ideation side, I'm like, I do not like the idea of structure. I, that feels confining. I don't want it, but in the living of it, it wasn't heavenly. Like, I really enjoyed knowing content creation was on Monday mornings from 9 to 12. I really enjoyed knowing that our team meetings was at this time and that, like, boom, boom, boom. And then I love, my wife has access to my calendar. She's the only one outside of me that can time block something. She'll, she'll give me a heads up, but similar to your family, like, to, we talk about with your family, like, she can go on there and put from four to five Campbell's Gymnastics. Yep. I'm like, cool. Like, unless there's an emergency or something has to prove itself to be more valuable than that, that's going there. We do the same thing. And it's, it's been incredibly helpful because my wife is way better at scheduling stuff than I am. And so I, I think that for me, you know, finding that balance between work and family is huge. And, and I think, you know, having that shared calendar has been just an amazing part of our relationship for sure. Yeah, man. And it's, it's been neat too, because it, it provides some level of not even transparency, like something was hidden, but Sometimes you, your spouse, you guys work together, which is different. They can just feel like you're off, you know, like you're just out there doing something. Right. And she's actually really enjoyed being able to see, like, my day. And even being able to say, like, wow, tomorrow's really busy. You, you, you going to be good? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be good. Or, <laughs> uh, hey, I noticed, and that was it. She's like, hey, I noticed there was a gap on Thursday. Is there any way you could take, you know, Campbell to gymnastics for me? And I'm like, man, that's so cool that you didn't, I didn't have to like check my own calendar yep. and all this, it's like, yeah, just put it on there, babe. Like just schedule it on there. So I'm wondering for you, how do you at this stage and in this role, like the reason I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about time blocking. I only time block important stuff, right? What would you say at this stage is your highest leverage activities based on your role in the company? What's the thing that's like, man, that's my, my time is best spent here, Right driving vision, removing obstacles from teams? Is it creating new partnerships for the business to grow? Like, how are you currently thinking about that? 
So currently in the chapter that we're in, um, one of the gaps that I think we've found in our business is that Laura and I collectively have 10 years or more of experience in the dental marketing space. That means that we not only understand the marketing side of it, but we also understand the dental side of it really well. And, uh, and there's a lot of nuance to it. You know, marketing for an orthodontist is different than marketing for a periodontist or sure. a general dentist or a new dental practice versus a mature dental practice. And as we've grown and as the pace picks up, you know, I think it was just two months ago, we hired seven people in one month. I think we're realizing the gap that we have in our foundational training. And so we live in this amazing world where we can do asynchronous training, right? We can scale ourselves. I don't have to every time someone comes on the team say, all right, let's sit down for seven hours together. Right. And, and, and I love that. I love those need any conversations, but I think one of our biggest gaps is that we have outpaced our ability to create that foundation for some of our newest employees. It's a problem. And so right now where I'm looking at my time is in two areas. One, creating those scalable educational training resources and having it come from Laura and I. I think that for a while I was really focused on how do we take our department heads, our, our, you know, our other leaders on the team, how can they read my mind and do it for me? And, and I realized that's, that's not a way to set a foundation. You know, at the end of the day, it ladders back to our philosophy, our opinion. And the second piece of this, which may sound very obvious to anyone that's coming from the marketing space, but I think it's hard to do, is pairing that training with scalable templates. And I hate to use the word templates. It's a word I've avoided for most of my marketing career. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think you know, a better way of talking about it is a foundation. It's saying, if we wanna talk about a scratch practice, in dentistry, that's a, that's a practice that's, that's it's a startup, right? They, there's, they're building it from scratch. What's, what are the first three campaigns we can run for them, right? I, I loved what you were saying about the restaurant. You, you put the, the red napkin down. Well, should we you know, do some crazy deal for the first 50 patients in the door? Why? Because they're going to refer. They're going to be yep. the reviews. We need. They're going to be the testimonials we need. What happens after that? And I think that you know, as you get bigger, you realize that you're building a production line. And while you want people to intuitively feel and see these things, I've found increasingly it's tough for people to do that unless they have the same experience you do. And so to be very specific, that first part is creating scalable training. The second part is creating scalable process. It's like now that you have our opinion, here's the process you will follow. So the next 12 months are all about scalable training and scalable process. And for me, that that's the thing I need to focus on the most. And that's where I've been spending a lot of my time. Man, that is cool. Uh, sorry, I'm taking notes because I'm thinking about some people I want to connect you to or just some, some ideas that, that come to mind for that for afterwards. Um, super cool. Okay. So how about your wife? How have you guys, like, what does that role partnership look like? What, what's the role that she's currently playing in the business? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been one of the best parts of our relationship and one of the hardest parts of our relationship at the same time. I think that, um, you know, I, I look at all the couples we know, um, very few of them own businesses together. And I look at the gaps that they have, the, the amount of time they spend apart, the, the sometimes the disinterest that they'll have in, in each other's careers. And, and for better or worse, we spend so much time working. Um, 
that it's just been a joy to build something together. And I think while we do a very bad job of, of, of stopping and looking backwards and reflecting and appreciating, it's wonderful when we do. And it's just like, you know, it's something we're both very proud of. I think, again, relating back to family, uh, the business does feel like a child. It does feel like part of the family. It is in, intensely personal. And, and I also really doubt that either of us feel confident we would have gotten to where we are without the other person. Uh, it is a huge advantage where, where other entrepreneurs may stop. We have always continued. And I think early in our relationship, we apologized to each other for that. We'd be on a date and we'd say, okay, just one more thing. And then we'll stop talking about work. And I remember literally having a dinner where we both stopped and we said, do you like talking about work? And she's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, I like talking about work too. And I was like, why are we <laughs> apologizing for this? It's like apologizing for talking about your kids. You're like, yeah, we like our kids. We're going to talk about our kids. And so from that point on, I think, you know, we've really, um, where other people might put in eight hours, we've, we've put in so much more, not to say that we're grinding, but we're thinking, we're working on it. We're supporting each other. Now that's where it gets hard. The flip side is you don't, you know, if you don't work with your spouse, you have a bad day, you come home. They're in a good place likely to pick you up and say, Oh, let, let me hear about it. Tell me about it. When we have a bad day, when someone puts their notice in and it's a surprise, when a client tells you they're disappointed in your work, when you fall behind on uh, you know, a project or you make a mistake, it's a collective failure. And, and I think that's when we've had our hardest moments because you know, you're, you're not emotionally in a place to support the other person. Oftentimes it ends up, you're at odds. You're, you, start, you start pointing fingers. You say, well, why didn't you do this? And so it, you know, it, it has been hard too, but um, it's, it's been awesome. As far as what Laura does, um, you know, she's, if she was here, I think what she'd tell you is that she's going through uh, a process of evolving. She's recently a mom 18 months ago, about to be a mom again in two weeks. I think it's really hard. I, she loves to work. She's great at it. She's wonderful at partner building. She's great at, uh, you know, doing all of these, all of these things that have helped move our business forward strategically over and over again. She's owned the finance side of our business for years and is currently trying to beat the clock of this baby coming to rework the entire way that our business uh, does accounting. We're moving towards automation. We've, we've adopted a whole new team and it's been this huge stressful thing for her. But I think she's constantly sort of challenging herself saying, where do I want to spend my time? And, and so she does an amazing job of it usually through hustle, but, um, but I've watched her adapt into just about every role in the company. She's been the account manager, the salesperson, the, you know, the CFO, the CEO, she's done all those roles and gracefully transitioned over and over. So I think the next chapter is something she's still waiting to figure out. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's transition to the lightning round question so I can let you get back to your busy day. This has been awesome. Okay. Question number one for you, Michael. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? So we have uh, values that we abide by. And my favorite one is evolve, adapt, adopt, and grow. And I think for me, what that means is that, you know, complacency is a killer. You always have to look at something and say, can we do this better? And I think if everybody adopts that mentality, even though it's exhausting and hard, we will be a better company for it. Love it. Uh, question number two, if, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Mm. I think the best advice I got early on, and it, it's really, um, I don't know how helpful this is. 
it was raise your prices. It was, it was, you know, that, that, yeah. that early point. Uh, and even now, like, you know, with the world changing, I think that's like one of the biggest hesitations most businesses have, right? We go back to that sort of like, what if you step away from the business? Will people still want to work with you? I'm feeling that right now. If we raise our prices, will people still want to stay with us? And, and I think that, you know, if you have a valuable product and you make your clients happy, you need to make sure that you're continuing to realize that value so that you can give back to your team and help your team grow through promotions, through new positions, through new technology and better serve your clients. So I think early on, I needed to hear, raise your prices. Man, it makes me think of, uh, are you familiar with EOS at all? Oh yeah. So one of the things that I remember hearing about them years ago was, uh, the way that they've structured their, they had to change it recently, which kind of screwed a lot of us, but they had to, they, they would initially, you'd pay like $5,000 to come and get certified as an EOS implementer, right? But the next year it was $6,000. The next year is whatever. And every year went up and it was up to like twenty five dollars or $30,000 uh, just to come and get this training to be a, an EOS implementer. And I was like, how the hell are they doing that? Like, how are they raising this? Who's paying $30,000 to go and do this? And my friend who knew about it was like, it's a challenge to themselves. Every year they know they have to figure out a way to make next year worth $27,000, not twenty six, to make next year worth $30,000 and that it needs to be that valuable versus when it used to just be worth $5,000. And that was a reverse way of thinking that I really liked. Not like how much could I raise my price and get away with, but if I'm going to raise my price, it's either because I already undervalued our value or because I want it to be that valuable. Yeah. And all we got to do is ask, well, what would make it worth that? Right? Yeah. So I was saying, I think a lot of times it's that we undervalue uh, yes. what we've done, right? It, it's that we, uh, that we, we have grown, we have gotten better. And then, you know, we don't raise our prices. Yes, absolutely. Now, did anything come to mind for the worst advice you've gotten? <sighs> you know, I, I think it's just more general advice that we feel we see in our society all the time. Uh, and it's that, you know, as a leader, you need to, you need to have this stranglehold on your company and you need to be decisive and be right. And, you know, like just get in there and say something. And I think, you know, early on, if I look at some of my failures in leadership, it was moments when I felt like I'm the boss, this is what I have to say. And the more that we have softened and opened ourselves up to other leaders in the company championed them and been vulnerable and said, we don't know, we need help. We're open to ideas, the better our company has gotten. And I think one, I think a lot of people, at least the type of people we hire appreciate that culture. And it also gives other people a chance to shine, gives other people a chance to, to grow themselves. And I've seen a lot of people on our team just change immensely, rise to the occasion because we've invested a lot of ownership and a lot of, um, it's like a sandbox, right? Give them a sandbox to play in it and, and see what they build. And so for me, those early feelings of you're the boss, you need to own this, this is your decision. I think the more you can fight that and the more you can trust other people, the often the faster you grow. <clears throat> so good. Okay, number three, what causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? Yeah, I would say 100%. Uh, um, the culture of our company has always been hugely important. It's at the center of why I think we're, we're one of the best, if not the best demo marketing companies in the country. 
And it's because we can retain people better. We don't have turnover. We means we have really good focus and consistent, um, you know, consistency in, in deliver, delivering results. But the pandemic has, of course, changed everything. And so we had uh, many conversations about what would it look like as we had the opportunity to reenter. We obviously have this big, beautiful office space that I'm sitting in today. And so, you know, there was a lot of a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress over what's the right thing to do, both for the business and for our team. And from the business standpoint, I'm a firm believer that while we have worked effectively remotely, our team's been amazing. Our team has outperformed, I think, most other teams I've heard of. They do a great job, but we've also grown. And you need to have that ability to mentor new people, train new people, bring them into your culture so they care about you. So you care about them. Those are all important things. Find new business leaders. I believe that in-office culture is important. Um, and in my mind, I was like, three days would be great. But as we listen to our team, I can tell that, that their world has changed too. And a lot of people are like, but I like working from home. And you know, I, 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 I value that. So we ended up deciding that two days was our, we were gonna say, if you can come in a minimum of two days, we'd love to earn another. We'd love to earn a third day, but that's up to you. And, uh, and that was received really well. We, you know, we, we really wanted to see, did we make the right choice? And it seems like a lot of people are supporting that. But now my attention is turned to what will that be like? You know, because coming back in, it's going to be noisier. There's going to be more distraction. And the thing we talked about was efficiency is not the only thing we value in work, right? We also value growth and innovation. And oftentimes yeah. growth and innovation happens in the least scalable way possible. We've been talking about that through our whole conversation today. So having clarity on that for our team has been helpful, but I continue to harbor the most stress, the most anxiety about that transition back and making sure that we're serving both our team and our clients the best way we can. Yeah, it totally makes sense. The, the random the random ideas and creativity that can come from bumping into each other, from yep. from the thing you shared that just because you're passing each other or had a second that you might not have thought to share over Slack or called someone, right? Like that is the challenge, right? Oh man. Okay. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? I think the, 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 the BHAG is to really realize this fully integrated model where you can take a marketing campaign and you can fully track that back to the patient value and ultimately realize lifetime value, right? So it's not just about we spent marketing dollars and we got someone in the door. That patient should be coming back for 10 years. What's the lifetime value we create? And I think if we can create that clarity for ourselves, it's going to make us better marketers. We're going to better understand what works and what doesn't. And it's ultimately going to create a lot more transparency for our clients so that they can feel the value of our work. And again, it is a mountain to climb. Uh, there are compliance concerns as you access protected data. There are, you know, uh, software and technology hurdles to climb. And so we've, we've, we've certainly entered the first phase of that, but there are many phases to go. And I think that in the entire dental industry, this is the BHAG for most companies, whether they see it or not. And it is where the industry will go. I'm, I'm firmly confident that 10 years from now, the people that are talking about dental marketing will be people that are leading this fully integrated uh, perspective on lead to customer value. If, if you can solve that problem, you will be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. Super cool. All right. Number five is our fun, creative question. Take it however you will. If you could hop into a DeLorean 
you get to go back to the past, and you get to tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. When are you going back? And what's the thing you're telling that younger version of yourself? Being from Wisconsin, when I heard that, my, my first thought was uh, bucks and six and, and give them the full score and just, just keep, <laughs> keep, keep with the back to the future, uh, you know, reference there. Uh, but, but yeah, sports betting is not a big part of my life. So I'm not going to say that, you know, I think, well, there's a lot of little things that I think you could tell someone and it would make a huge difference. They might, you know, they might change what they do. They might work on something different. You know, there's all sorts of business ideas I have or things I've seen happen that it's like, go back. And if you were to do that 10 years ago, you know, wow, like you'd have this, this totally different business. But I think that robs you of the journey. It does. And so for me, you know, I always wonder if, if you did have that insider knowledge and you could cheat in a sense, like, would it really make you happier? And so I've been incredibly blessed and incredibly uh, lucky to have the career that I've had. And so I think, honestly, the thing I would say is just like that moment where you look, look in the eye and you just say, just stick with it, just stick with it and keep pushing. And, and that's it. That's it. I think I found there's so much solace in that and there's so much reward in that. And so it's been a mantra for my wife and I, I think it was something, there were early moments when I think our business almost failed. And I think that like, you know, if I could see my older self say that and say like, just, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but just stick with it and keep pushing. Like that's the stuff that you need to go on the journey you're supposed to go on. Well said, my friend. I love that. That's a great note to end on. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here today, sharing your wisdom with us and our audience. It's been a true pleasure, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was a great conversation. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.